I believe the church will manifest the glory of God, particularly in America, when we can say this is something we did. We did things or at least compromised with things that violated people that are our family. In the church, we have some significant attachment wounds according to race. So it makes sense why there's so much distrust. We've never taken time within the church to deal with family business and heal from those wounds. We need people of good intent to be bold and to speak up, not to shame people, but to say we are pressing towards the view of the gospel that God has called us to. Welcome to the Real Talk Podcast from Real FM. Here's Anson, Kara, and Isaac. Hello and welcome to episode eight of season five. It is the season finale of season five. Wow. And like any good finale, we've got to do something big that (laughs) blows everything else that we've done out of the water. Yeah, we do. And I think we're actually living up to that. You'll notice this shark tank that has been pulled in next to Anson's chair. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're uh, feeding Isaac to the sharks. No! That's not what you said. Uh, Actually, we are doing something new. For the very first time, we are bringing in a guest host for the conversation. Dr. James Hawkins is going to join us for a conversation on race, racism, and racial injustice. That's what we're talking Mm -hmm. about on the show today. And James will join us in just a little while. But first, real life boss level. homies. <laughs> this one, good. we're coming up on an election year. Oh, so yeah, we, we are. are. We are. And uh, several people are voicing their opinions. <laughs> several. Every, <laughs> every day in every corner of my life. And yes. I'm walking this tightrope. It's the tightrope of maintaining hopefulness while also doing my best to stay informed and basically um. like keeping up with what's going on in the world, figuring out how and when and why I should vote. And I feel like right now I'm consuming more media than I have before. And mm. I am just miserable. Yeah. <laughs> that. That's been my boss level for the last year. And I don't see 2020 improving that very much. Like it's just <laughs> going to get more intense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we're told in order to be a good American citizen, you have to know everything. everything. Part of me just wants to be like, I'm going to go to Tahiti for like <laughs> four more years yeah. <laughs> yes. and just disappear. Uh, yeah, I, don't, man. I have so much advice for you not. Nah. Yeah. I tend to waffle between these two states mm-hmm. depending on the time. Mm-hmm. So there are times where I veer more towards one or the other. I think my most recent season has definitely been veering towards the side of staying away from all of the information yeah, and the media me, consumption yeah, and all of those too. things. I'm having a real hard time remaining engaged. I wonder if part of the problem here is figuring out ways to stay informed. Are there options that provide information without stirring up all of the other stuff? Yeah. Good question. I'm not sure if that really exists or not. Yeah. Yeah. I really struggle with this too. And anyone that knows me, I veer more towards the side of blissful ignorance, except that it's not blissful because you can't really completely stay ignorant. Like it's everywhere. As an empathetic person, I know you are as well, Isaac, that really drains you quickly. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, Yeah. it's the worst. (laughs) I want to push back a little bit on something that you just said. There's this pressure to know everything. The amount of information that we have at our disposal, one human brain is not capable of processing all that is at our fingertips. We weren't made 
to process the amount of information that's coming at us. Yeah. What's the expression drinking from a fire hose? Yes, exactly. And maybe that's what you're saying, Nance. And you have to choose your sources maybe more intentionally and wisely and just intentionally be like, I don't have to know all the things. I don't have to listen to all the things. But even so, making that choice is still overwhelming. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about decades ago, if uh, something is going on in the news cycle, you read a newspaper article about it with your coffee in the morning. Right. And then you discuss it with your peers, maybe around the water cooler. And it's done. Nowadays, it's you read about it in the morning online and then you read two more stories about it at lunchtime and you talk about it with your friends and then you listen to a podcast and watch a video and you get on Facebook or Twitter and read 74 other people's takes on it. And by that point, the day has lasted a thousand years. Because like I experienced a day not too long ago where I woke up one morning arguing about a scandal on the internet. And then at noon I was arguing about a different scandal (sighs) and I got home and I was like, how did I just spend my day? It wasn't good. I actually am going to give a shout out to Real FM listeners because I posted about this on Facebook and I'm looking at my post. There's like 30 comments of you guys Mm. encouraging me and helping me kind of think through this. One of my favorites is from Josiah. He says, You got to pick a motive for your days and find people who share it. Encouragement Hmm. blossoms in relationship. He says connectedness is the silver bullet to bad news. So basically person to person connection and actually having discussions with people versus arguing in the comment section is good. That's so good. Shout out to Andrew, who's probably listening to this episode. He says, seriously, consider what it means to be informed. And if consuming Hmm. media actually contributes to this, you're convicting me right now. I don't like you. <laughs> Number two is dwell on God's sovereignty. We must honestly accept that our own best intentions and plans, if carried out, would not eliminate sin or suffering. Which, wow. dude, again, shut up. Uh, <laughs> he says neither of these things is easy. And I agree. Wow. What you're saying, Kara, is draw the line between informed and like overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Yeah. And I think I have a hard yeah. time doing that. It is hard. Now it's time for me to mine the depths of my Google search history, which is really boring. <laughs> I just got to say, every time I do one of these, I'm like, it's so boring. Three for three. I no, know. Every wrong. single time. They're always so good. Okay. So here we go. Oyster sauce substitute. <laughs> <laughs> that was way more entertaining. You don't, than you you don't <laughs> say. <laughs> you Spin don't give a prologue of. This is going to be boring. And then jump into oyster sauce. <laughs> well, it's not boring. That's okay. Good. I look forward to hearing. Let's hear thoughts. it. Isaac, what are your thoughts on oyster sauce? Oyster substitute. sauce substitute. Substitute. Yeah. Oyster sauce substitute. <laughs> I don't know how you would be cooking something last minute that required oyster sauce where you realized, oh, no, I need to give this a quick goog of like <laughs> substitute <laughs> oyster sauce. Because that's what me and Brie do when we're cooking something. Let's right. When Brie is cooking something, she'll yeah. find out. Oh, I don't have this right. ingredient. Right. right. Somehow like an egg yeah. and water <laughs> and a stick of cinnamon will make like cayenne pepper. I don't, the internet will tell you that. Isn't it magical? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand food at all. <laughs> but were you and Cody making something? Yeah. And you realized I mean, in my bunker of supplies, I don't have, we ran out of oyster sauce. Uh, how could this happen? Uh, so when I think of oyster sauce, I think of like, okay, how do you make oyster sauce? You take the little oyster, right? Yeah. Right. And then you do you like milk the oyster. <laughs> like, yeah. Just got to squeeze that sauce into a little cup. Yeah. To make the oyster sauce. That's a good thought. But that's a lot of work to milk every oyster. That's probably why I was individually. Stop. Stop. So, first of all, 
I wish there was a way to edit audio to where I never heard that. <laughs> In your brain, you mean? Not lot. like, yeah. <laughs> oyster that sauce. is a lot of work, though, to do that to every single oyster. So yeah. it makes sense that you would want to find a substitute. A substitute. Thank you for not saying it. <laughs> Do it more quickly. Yeah. Oyster sauce. Do you know what oyster sauce is, Isaac? I have no idea. Okay, I actually know what oyster sauce is. I figure, yeah. yeah. Cheating, but you make a good point, though, that I feel like if you were going to make something that used oyster sauce, (laughs) you wouldn't probably do that on a whim. Yeah. And then be like, oh, wait, I don't have oyster sauce. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like this was probably... Something where you were wanting to make an item, but you either didn't know what oyster sauce was or you didn't know where to get it. Or you're just ooked out by it and you wanted to <laughs> have You're like, yeah, I don't know if or I that. really want oyster that's, sauce in that's my thing. Fair. Can yeah. I tell on myself? I just love that yeah. you said the word ooked and gook. It's like <laughs> a goog. Do you give it a goog? Do you guys yeah. say that? Do you give it a goog? Um, <laughs> nope. If cool. you were trying to find a substitute, I get this. I hate onions. Growing yeah. up, my uh-huh. mom, because I'm the favorite child, uh-huh. would put like onion seasoning in all the things uh-huh. that are Required oh onions gosh. and Brie doesn't do that. And I like him a huge baby about it still. So like I've That's gone as far so... as can you put onion seasoning in this instead? <laughs> <laughs> and she refuses. That's so, right. She's like, you're going to eat it and like it. So I feel like you're trying to figure out a workaround yes. around using oyster sauce. OK, my guess is you are making some sort of stir fry or noodles or like a rice dish, something with an Asian sauce in it, mm-hmm. because oyster sauce is a building block of a lot of. Asian sauces. Yep. So, How do you just know that? <laughs> like, you're, I've, you're I've, just, you're, he's not reading off notes. Because I've just, made, he makes a lot I've of made, Chinese food. Yeah. That's Asian wild. Food. I'm impressed. I will also yeah. just throw this in there. If you need some oyster sauce, we have some. Nice. So. That's good to know. <laughs> I'm shocked. There's also an Asian market in town where Ooh. you can get a lot of great stuff like this. Okay, also good. So, so what were you trying to make? So I was trying to make crockpot broccoli beef. And yeah. yes, you're right. The sauce required oyster sauce. And I think what happened is I was doing a pickup order mm. and I was searching uh. for it online and they did not have it in the store. Uh, and okay. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't want to go in the store because I'm lazy. What else can I use yes. for oyster sauce? But I think that it's got a pretty unique flavor. So most people are like, well, you really should get the real thing. Yeah. Oh, they didn't give you like a worker. Well, I was going to say, did. did you find substitutes? They, I think they said like Worcestershire sauce or yeah. add a teaspoon of sugar to the soy sauce. There wasn't like a great substitute. And I don't know that it turned out that great. <laughs> Yeah. because of that but yeah just for future reference yeah. if you want to make like a really simple version this is not like the traditional version but like yeah. the very simple version you could use the liquid from like a can of oysters yeah mixed with soy sauce and sugar that's what? basically all it is why did i find that on the internet i so. needed to look up again he just knows how did this. he know that that's, that's amazing <laughs> this podcast is isaac learns a new thing exists and then anson has a full uh, dictionary uh, thing of it in his it. head. Oh, I did my thesis I'm on that. I'm impressed. It's pretty it's basically just sugar, soy sauce and that's an oysterness. Oysterness. O- oyster vibes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> It is now time for our final tier list of the season, and this has been perhaps uh, surprisingly the biggest lightning rod that we've ever had on the show. <laughs> it has. In the last episode, we got down and dirty with Christmas <laughs> movies. 
Kara and Isaac almost engaged in fisticuffs with yeah. one another <laughs> over the movie White Christmas. It's true. And so I decided, in the spirit of Christmas, to keep the arguing about Christmas going. Oh, good. So yes. instead of Christmas movies, this time we're going to Christmas goodies oh. as the tier list. Okay. And in good tier list fashion, I have to rate several of these goodies as trash tier. <sighs> and hopefully I'm not rating any of your favorite goodies okay. as trash tier goodies. We'll, we'll see how this goes. Otherwise, uh, we're going to have to bleep carrot. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Christmas goodies. Let's start out at the bottom. The D tier, the trash tier Christmas goodies. The first one on my list is caramels. What? Any caramels or homemade caramels? Like the homemade little caramel what? drops or cubes. Drops. I'm thinking like homemade caramels that are wrapped in like, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> that are wrapped I don't up. Cling wrap. Yeah. Like, you don't like I those? I got trash. Those, those, are, those are fun because if you get a room full of people eating those, they all look like when a dog has peanut butter. <laughs> bop, 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 bop. It's great. They literally try to take your teeth out. <laughs> I hate okay, that you had the wrong kind because the kind that I have, they don't do that. They're no, not I'm, as strong. They can as be that. chewy without being like sticky like retention. The kind that I have yeah. is softer than uh, that, and it's delicious. Overly yeah. sugary. Yeah. Uh, okay. They're too sweet. They're one note. They try to yeah. pull your teeth out. Yeah, wrong. <laughs> Caramels are overrated. Here's another one that's overrated. I might have to explain what this is because I didn't actually know the name for it until my wife informed me what it was actually <laughs> called. Okay. But I've had it before. White chocolate trash is apparently a name for it. Oh, what? is it like? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I, I think that my family calls it monkey mix. It's yeah. like mm -hmm. it's like powdered sugar, white chocolate, everything. Right. Like, it's, it's like just, trail mix covered in white chocolate. Yeah. More oh. or less. You don't like that? No. My white gosh. chocolate trash is trash. No. No. It depends it's so appropriately good. named. It's Wait, so does it good. just have white chocolate on it or does it have powdered sugar on it as well? It's usually just white chocolate, I we, think. We do Chex Mix, yeah. powdered sugar, white chocolate chips. It looks like a bag of cocaine with yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chex Mix oh, in it. Yeah. So I make yeah. this with two different kinds of M&Ms, peanut butter M&Ms and mint M&Ms. Yeah, that's so good. And then all of the Chex Mix. Yeah, it's Anson's good. wrong. Yeah, he's, he's wrong. wrong. All right. Sorry. So listen, real talk. White chocolate is trash. Oh, come on. White Seriously? chocolate is the worst kind of chocolate. What? Trail mix is fine, but nothing oh, particularly on. special. Also, <laughs> most controversial take of all, M&Ms are trash. I hate M&Ms. They've got that like <laughs> The candy coating thing, when you bite into like an M&M, it just bothers me. Like the way that it falls apart is concerning <sighs> to my teeth. The veneer. My teeth are so concerned I right now. I hate the feeling Each of, one of chewing Anson's an M &M. little cartoon teeth going, uh-uh. <laughs> no. Every part of white chocolate trash is trash. <laughs> and finally, peanut brittle, I would also put on the <laughs> trash tier list. Peanut brittle is overrated as well. Yeah. A lot of times it gets really hard. It's difficult to eat. Eat. It's yeah. overly sugary. It doesn't have a lot of depth of flavor beyond just being sweet. Listen, listen. what? So, <laughs> tell I, me about peanut brittle. I actually am going to agree with you. Oh, but okay. With yeah. an asterisk here. Uh -huh. okay. Commercial grade peanut brittle. Yeah. Is not good. Yeah. No. My late great grandma Weaver made homemade peanut brittle. Ooh. That was as thick as my wrist what? and could stop a 7.62 caliber <laughs> bullet. That was the bomb. But you have no way of experiencing that. Yeah. I agree that if you're yeah. in Hobby Lobby and you see like a loose bag of peanut brittle, you're like, Ew. it's not, yeah. not going to be I don't bad. know if I've ever had peanut brittle that I liked, even homemade peanut brittle, but I'm not going to trash your grandma. I don't so. think I've ever. Yeah, that's <laughs> why. so good. I might it's actually so good. get into a fist fight over yeah. that. It was really good. All right. C tier. These are average tier things. Yeah. And these are actually kind of tricky for me. I had a couple of these where I feel like I've I've actually had really good goodies in this category oh. or really not good goodies. And so I'm kind of averaging them out. So I put them in miss. the C tier. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is kind of my hit or miss category. The first one is fudge. 
Oh. Hit or miss with fudge. That's... And this one could be kind of surprising to people. They're like, what is not no. to like about fudge? But there's actually fudge that really is not that great. Like, that's yeah. true. You get just this big, solid block of milk chocolate that's like yeah. sickeningly sweet. Yeah. That's and you can take true. like a bite or two of it and then you're like, Okay, I can't. I can't keep eating this. <laughs> yeah. Now, fudge can be really good, especially now. I'm a big dark chocolate fan. Oh yeah. So you get like dark chocolate fudge with some nuts in there, yeah. and yeah. like all of a sudden it can be really good. Got to be like another element to it. Yeah, though. but if it's just yeah. plain fudge, Agreed. I don't know. It's Actually, agree. Not so great. Okay. So that's one candy canes. I also have in the C tier. They're kind of fun. You want to have like one or two maybe during Christmas season just because it's the thing that you're supposed to have. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know. Not that great. Other than like licking the candy cane down to a point and yeah. stabbing your sibling with yeah. it like a sword. Yeah. I don't know. Candy canes aren't that great to Overrated. me. Overrated. And then another one that I feel like is hit or miss is gingerbread. You get good gingerbread or like gingerbread cookies or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I love the taste true. of gingerbread. But you actually decide, hey, I'm going to eat this delicious looking gingerbread house. Yeah. And it's never good because no. it's been sitting out for a few days. Yeah, the yeah. gingerbread's all like rock hard. Yeah, Even the like gummy idea. candies on it are hard too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times that store-bought gingerbread stuff, it's kind of like store-bought peanut brittle. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard it's and difficult up. to eat. And, but the actual gingerbread flavor is really good yeah. if you can get it in something that's well-made. Okay. That makes sense. B tier. So this is starting to get into the stuff that I enjoy. All right. Yeah. So this is above average Christmas goodies. Number one, sugared nuts. Oh, we like, actually have someone in our office who has oh. made candied nuts or oh, sugared yeah, yeah, nuts yeah, 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 yeah. before. Yeah. So you take like pecans or walnuts or different nuts yeah. and you kind of cover them in this sugary <laughs> concoction. Yeah. I love nuts just in general. Yeah. And these things are addicting. Yeah. Yeah. I always get the bag from one of our coworkers that makes these. And, and I'm make like, it, doesn't make it home. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm, yeah. Gonna, I'm just going to eat a couple <laughs> before I go and then I'll share the rest with my, oh, they're gone. And they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> the bag up to the gaping Whoops. maw of the mouth. Yeah. yeah. This one is one that I considered putting in the C tier because I feel like it is hit or miss, but when it hits, it's one of my favorites. So I bumped it up to the B tier. And that is sugar cookies. Oh, yeah. Sugar cookies can be so, so good oh, yes. when they're made well. Okay. So true. Or they can be hard planks of cookie right? yeah, that are pretty forgettable. Uh -huh. And the thing is, you never know until you take a bite. Like yeah. they can Just look the amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And you pick them up and then you take a bite and your teeth again almost fall. I have a thing apparently with my teeth. Yeah. Christmas cookies. <laughs> but I don't know. Sugar cookies are very hit or miss. Yeah. Yep. But you get good, like soft sugar cookies yeah. and a little bit of frosting on them. Fresh not too out, much. Fresh out the oven. But a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, those are good. Cookies. Or even better, just go straight for the sugar cookie dough. Oh, yep. yeah. Another True. one in the B tier. This is above average. And I know Kara might hate me because oh, it's no. not high enough. Okay. Okay. But okay. hot cocoa I have in this tier. All right. And I know we did an entire uh, tier list on hot cocoa. We did. I might. This is above average. I'm saying okay, it's good. Okay. I'm, good. I'm not trashing hot all cocoa. All right. Let's hear your reasoning. I had to put hot cocoa in B just because my favorite things are all things that I eat. Oh, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Drinks are good. Yeah. But when I think about my very favorite Christmas treats, yeah. they're edible yeah. things. I could, I could agree with that. As did, opposed to a drink. Did we cover yeah. drinking chocolate on our tier list with hot cocoa? No, we did not. So Brie and I, this is bad. I'm convicted on how much. <laughs> money we spent on this, but mm -hmm. we somehow got hustled into buying a $20 bag of cocoa mix that was wow. marketed as drinking chocolate. Okay. <laughs> so this was cocoa that was made with just chocolate shavings, not powdered cocoa. It was uh, like yeah. they straight up shaved down a, a candy bar. quality candy bar and we made it. Boy, wow. that hit. 
good. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a little bit too indulgent. You yeah. felt like the Aztec gods who yeah. like drank the cocoa. Like <laughs> right. You were like, ah, this is this sticking is... to my cup. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I mean, I, cool. I like hot cocoa. Uh, it's yeah. good. I like having it. I will say if I'm pairing it with some other Christmas goodie as yeah. a drink, though, I tend yeah. to prefer coffee because I, I don't want too sweet things. I kind of want a sweet and then a bitter to kind of help balance it yeah, out a I little bit. That. But on its own, yeah. I do like hot cocoa. Right yeah, Christmas that's goodie fair. Too. All right. So A tier. We're getting into the really good stuff now. Awesome. Okay. So this is excellent Christmas goodies. Maybe not best of the best, but really good. Oreo truffles or Oreo uh, bonbons. Yep. These things are the bomb.com. Yeah. This is new to me. I'm Have Googling. you not had uh-uh. what Oreo? I, is there another name for them? Oreo, Do you call them something we just else? call them Oreo balls. Oreo balls. Know, yeah. yeah. This is basically you take crushed up Oreos mm-hmm. and the Oreo filling, right? I, depending I, on how you make yeah, them. Yeah, depending on how you do it. And oh you mix it with cream cheese. solid. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. looks familiar. And you make it into little balls and then you dip it in chocolate. Good lord. Okay, and, but we dip ours in white chocolate. Well, that's so. unfortunate. <laughs> for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, I mean, I've had, so good. a lot of times we'll make some They're like really dark good. chocolate ones and milk oh, and white, and then you okay. can drizzle them in the other kind of chocolate. So yeah, those, you make them dark chocolate and drizzle some white chocolate over the top. Those or, are good. I, I always prefer dark chocolate, everything. So yeah, that would be fair. my favorite of this. I will still eat the white chocolate well, ones, yeah, yeah. but yeah, the dark looks, chocolate ones are my I favorite. I can co-sign on this. This looks good. Yeah. This is something we have at my yeah. family's Christmas every year. It's yeah. a staple. I will say though, and I rarely say this about a Christmas treat. That's one of those that I can almost have too much of. I can eat like two and then I'm like, and I'm out because they're just Mm. so sweet. I would definitely feel that way about either milk or white chocolate ones. That's That's why I like the dark chocolate ones. Maybe that's what it is. You can pop those things all day long. I bet. And I do. (laughs) Another one in the A tier, chocolate covered cherries. Oh, this one might be a little controversial. My wife, for example, doesn't really get into the chocolate covered cherries. I don't really like them. I love cherries. Again, the A tier. Wow. You got to have the dark chocolate ones, though. The milk chocolate ones are trash. (laughs) They also make chocolate covered blueberries, which I had for the first time last year. That I could get. And those were good, too. I have a weird thing about like fruits and chocolate. I'll be like, I'll do like strawberry and chocolate, but the rest of it, it feels like I'm trying to pretend here. Like, (laughs) give me the chocolate. Just eat the straight chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That's funny. S tier. The All best right, of the best. Are. Anson's favorite Christmas goodies. Awesome. Coming in at number three, <laughs> candied bacon. What? Oh. Have you had candied bacon? I still never have. You talk about this every year. This is another staple of my family. If you haven't had this, you need to try it. It's yeah. really easy. You basically take bacon, you dip it in brown sugar, yep. you put it on a baking tray, you stick it in the oven for like 20 or 30 minutes, and then you eat all of it. <laughs> Immediately. And it is so, so it's good. it's like a sweet, savory thing? It's like, yeah. Brown Sounds sugared really bacon. Oh my gosh. That's it's awesome. Brown sugar. Ba- I mean, that, that's literally all it is. Could you yeah. fry it also? Or is uh, it- frying it is usually not as good because it's coated in the brown sugar. Uh-huh. And it'll, oh, it'll burn the brown sugar yeah. okay. on the outside. Okay. So you really want to put it in the oven and yeah. bake it so yeah. that it, it the brown sugar stays on it. Just chewy? Or? Well, you can cook it as long as you want. Right. The longer you cook it, the crispier it'll be. Right. Ooh, so it kind of depends yeah. on what kind of bacon you like. I like my bacon a little less done. Yeah. Whereas like my wife likes it super done. Yeah. And crispy. Oh, yeah. I, I like, burn mine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I don't. So like her. I like it much less done. So okay. you can do it to your taste. Yeah. I'll have to try that. It's really good. That's yeah. our Christmas morning breakfast. Really? At my family. <sighs> That's cool. And it's That's so cool. good. Number two, Jammy Dodgers. <gasps> Say that again. <laughs> Jammy Dodgers. <laughs> have you had Jammy Dodgers? No. You don't know what Jammy Dodgers is? This makes me oh, so Isaac, happy. I'm going to introduce you to so many good new Christmas goodies yeah. that you have to try this year. Okay. My sister-in-law, shout out to Erica makes jammy dodgers every year and they're so 
Good. This is another thing I'm googling here. Here is the cookie pro. Do you want to describe Jamie Dodgers? Well, I've never actually made them. Oh, okay. But they are basically like a short bread type cookie, I uh-huh. would say. Yeah. It's like maybe two shortbread cookies together. Right. It's like a short it's like a sandwich. cookie sandwich. And in the middle is like raspberry jam. So it's like an Oreo with shortbread and raspberry yeah. with raspberry filling, filling and then in the middle. Icing then, on the top. Uh you can sometimes. put icing on the top sometimes, or sometimes you just sprinkle a little bit of sugar on yeah. the top. I'm yeah. seeing that. Uh-huh. Somebody brought a couple weeks ago. I don't know if they were actually jammy dodgers, but they're the closest thing I could figure out. They brought some here and they had like cream cheese frosting on the top. Yeah. With that, and it was like I, which I had never had before. It those blew were really my good mind. Too. Oh, I, I eat one of those. Those yeah. are so good. That's what this is. Okay, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I. Yeah. It, it, it was, that was kind of a riff on a jammy dodger. Okay. That one was not a traditional <laughs> one. It was just like a. It was a cookie with some like jam on it with cream cheese mixed in. Yeah. So the actual the neighborhood. It was a the actual jammy dodger is yeah. yeah like a sandwich thing with the jam <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> They're, really, They're really really good. Those are They're good. kind of time intensive to make. Yeah. But, had oh. your sister-in-law's jammy dodgers and i can confirm they're yeah. very good. you can have them when they're not great again when the cookie's like hard and yeah. like a yeah. store-bought one no, or something yeah. but you need like good shortbread cookies where they're soft yeah. and warm and with the oh, yeah. jam in the middle oh, that makes so me good. happy because it's a very british thing and doctor who talks about jammy dodgers a lot so that jammy makes me dodgers. really happy i love it <laughs> love the name my number one christmas goodie my favorite of all time Maybe another one that Isaac has never heard of. We'll see. Marzipan. What? Marzipan. Is this the thing that they like sculpt stuff out of? Uh, No, they can. Well, is that? What were you thinking? Something else that I can't think of the name of. Fair enough. (laughs) You can, although not always, not usually even, I would say. Marzipan is this confection that basically consists of almond meal, like ground up almonds, Hmm. usually very like finely ground. Sometimes it has like almond extract in it as well. And then sugar or maybe honey. Uh, And then a lot of times it's dipped in chocolate. Oh, So like you can get it as a candy bar from Aldi or something like that. So it's like dark chocolate with this almond extract and ground up almonds in the middle. But it's very fine. It's not like crunchy chunks of almond like in a Snickers or in a bar like that. It's like this paste, like an almond paste almost. But if you've ever had any almond flavored anything, like if you like putting almond extract in your cookies, which is a secret recipe component of a lot of cookies, it makes them really good. Or I very much enjoy like almond drinks, like steamed almond milk or almond flavoring in my coffee drinks or something, then you will love marzipan okay. so it's basically an almond lover's dream um, i never had this it's so so good it's really popular in germany oh. it's there like christmas and new year's day treat and a lot of times they actually will model it into like little small animals or yeah. things okay interesting or, that's, i think that's how i know it from cooking shows yeah. is like they use it as like a modeling gotcha thing. and yeah. and actually in germany they even make this thing which i can't say the german word for but they make marzipan potatoes <laughs> So they'll form them into these little balls and then they'll dust them in cocoa powder. What? So they kind of look brown and the the, the almond paste is kind of whitish, like a creamish yeah. oh, color. Okay. And then they dust it in cocoa powder and it actually looks like a tiny baked potato. Oh my gosh. But it, it tastes like. I love it. Amazing. It tastes like almonds. <laughs> tiny baked potato. Anyway, this is like my number one wow. favorite thing. And all of my family knows this about me, luckily. And so I, <laughs> I tend to get marzipan as a gift every That's Christmas. Good. And a lot of times you can only buy it though around Christmas 
was going to say, how your number one thing, how Isaac and I have never had it. Uh, yeah. I should have brought some for uh, you to try. I don't think I even have. have any, though. Probably like Aldi and Walmart or those types yeah. of places are selling it now if you yeah. can find it okay. uh, in the candy aisle. I'm going to keep my eyes out. Usually, like I said, it's chocolate covered if you buy it at the grocery store, right. Right. Yes. which right, right, is right. totally uh, good. Yeah. But yeah, you, you got to try a, it. You're a purist. You like just the marzipan. I do like it by itself as well, but I like it with you the like chocolate, too. The dark chocolate also. I think the reason I like it so much is because it's not one of these like sickeningly sweet yeah, treats yeah. or goodies. Yeah. It's sugary for sure, but it also has kind of that nutty component to it. That's a primary mm-hmm. component of it. Yeah. It's not just pure sugar. Yeah. That makes sense. So I will definitely nice. have to bring some for you guys to try. Yeah, soon. that would be fun. It is time now for the conversation. And on today's episode, we are tackling a topic that we've wanted to tackle on the Real Talk podcast for about five seasons, but we knew we would need a little help. So we've brought in the reinforcements for this episode. We are really excited to welcome our first ever guest host to the podcast. Dr. James Hawkins is with us today. James, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Really is. We are so excited that you're here with us. James, you have a lot of stuff that I've got to listen to here because you are a busy, busy man. It's very long. James is the host of A More Excellent Way. That's a podcast on our sister station on KLRC, the KLRC Podcast Network. You're a counselor at the Joshua Center. You're an adjunct professor at John Brown University. You are a marriage and family pastor. You got a lot going on. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Did I just remind you of like a bunch of stuff on yeah. your to-do list? Yeah, or man. I felt that in my gut. Yeah. It's a little overwhelmed now. James also has a doctorate of philosophy, psychology and counseling from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah. So we're really excited to have you here for this conversation today. We're tackling race, racism, racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. all of the above. This is a tough topic to talk about. But it's one that we've got to have a conversation about. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we've been wanting to have this conversation on Real Talk for a long time. But if I can be very frank with our (laughs) listeners, didn't seem like a great idea for a podcast with three white people as the hosts (laughs) to have a grand discussion on race. Yeah. Just the additional surprise. We're all white. (laughs) (laughs) We never mentioned that on the show before. (laughs) Surprise. This is more fun being in the studio with you all We're going to have lots of fun today. Here's the other fun thing. We actually asked a number of our listeners on the Real FM Insiders group on Facebook if they had any questions either for James or just uh, points that they wanted us to talk about on the show today. And so we're going to be bringing those into the conversation today as well. I actually want to start there with one of our questions from one of our listeners, and this comes from Morgan. And maybe this will kind of help introduce you, James, to our listening audience a little bit. Morgan asked the question, what have been some of Dr. Hawkins' experiences dealing with racism or how has racism affected you personally in your life? Well, yeah. And when I think about early experiences, it makes me think back to my great grandmother. I remember being a little kid and just always wondering, like, why does granny look white? She's so much different. Like she passes for white and I don't understand it. Like, what is that? Mm. And as a little kid, my parents, you know, want to be sensitive with answering the question. And then finally, like I'm older. I'm like, look, tell me plain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why is granny white? And my Mm. mom just like, well, baby, sometimes slave masters used to have fun with their slaves. Mm. And then comes this side of your family. Mm. So that's definitely an early formative part of of my history around race. But then even if I take it into a little bit more of the modern context in working in parachurch church world and just seeing ways in which still being a minority can make some people uncomfortable 
mm-hmm. and seeing some leaders within organizations wanting to maybe allow them to hold certain beliefs or biases against me and like being willing to accommodate that mm-hmm. within the church. That mm-hmm. just kind of floored me that in some ways racism or at least bias is tolerated mm. still in the American church sometimes. It's some not point. even tolerated, but the word you used accommodated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's probably there's, there's room made for it. Not exactly. necessarily like an explicit vocal rule, but more just a, you'll know that if you have these ideas, yeah. you'll be accommodated yeah. there. Yeah. That's mm. wild. For me, as we talk about this, I have a confession to make. This conversation is super intimidating to me, partly because I'm really afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm afraid I don't even know the right questions to ask. I don't even know where to start, to be perfectly honest. So I just want to throw that out there so your expectations are real low of what I'm going to say if I say something really dumb. I feel like a complete newbie to this conversation. I think that's so important for people to hear, though, because I feel the same way. I think so many of us feel that way. And it's so intimidating to step into a deeply uncomfortable conversation, but yeah. a conversation that's so important so at the important. same time. Yeah. And I think acknowledging that we're all uncomfortable is an important place to start. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So for me, I grew up in uh, Southeast Nebraska, little farming community. And in this community, there was honestly pretty much no diversity. I would say one of my grandmothers struggled a little bit with more overt racism. Mm. It's just been something that has been not a part of my psyche. I've had the luxury of not thinking about it. And probably not until I moved to Arkansas, came to college here, did it start to come more to the front of my attention? Like, oh, there's, there's things going on that I have no idea about. There's realities outside of the one that I'm living. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a wake up call. One of our listeners in the Facebook group brought up the subject of colorblindness. That's something that I think about as I hear you describe your experience, Kara, because your experience is similar to mine. I grew up in a pretty homogenized area in a homogenized circle. What I grew up thinking was that colorblindness was the goal, uh, that ignoring race was somehow a good thing because that means I'm treating everyone equally, right? So obviously, as I've grown, I've realized that there are a number of problems with ignoring our diversity rather than celebrating it. But this colorblindness thing is something I think that gets brought up a lot. You hear the question constantly asked from people, why does everything have to be about race? Because Mm -hmm. if the goal is for us to be colorblind and ignore it, Mm -hmm. then every time race gets brought up in conversation, Mm -hmm. it feels very frustrating Mm -hmm. because it's a violation of what I'm striving for, which is to ignore it. Interesting. But James, I want to kind of get your take on colorblindness because I think from Kara's experience or my experience, colorblindness is kind of a luxury we could afford because we were part of the majority in the areas that we grew up in. We we didn't have to think about race. We weren't confronted with it all Mm -hmm. the time. But for a person of color, for a minority, I have to imagine that's just not the case. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first point for me is the term race. Race really is not a biblical way of looking at it. When we think about the construct or the concept of race, it really is a social construction. It is a construct in which a people group determined who is on top and who's on bottom, Mm -hmm. who's superior, who's inferior. Mm -hmm. It was determined amongst these groups. White is right and black is inferior and subjugated. And so that's how we begin to build world empires on the backs of Africans and people of brown skin tone. But the biblical perspective that we need to take is there are ethnos or people groups or cultural groups. God has divinely chosen and created all groups in his image. 
every nation, tribe, and tongue. God, in his sovereignty, created these because they manifest his glory and his goodness in all the earth. You know, a very common way of looking at this, of course, we expect birds of a feather to flock together, right? (laughs) We expect people who look alike and think alike to flock together. Mm -hmm. But what does it display about the power of God's spirit when people who are different still find this common bond and Mm -hmm. and unity Mm -hmm. in their diversity and come together? And one of the things we see in the book of Revelation that it is made very clear People from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be there. Mm -hmm. So to try and be colorblind is to say, I don't want to see something beautiful that God made. Wow. I want to overlook it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I want to be fair. I get what people are trying to do Mm -hmm. because they think it's a way to heal something, but denial Mm -hmm. and withdrawal or ignoring does not heal things. It only allows the problem to exist and actually makes it worse Mm -hmm. because it's saying you don't want to see me and you don't want to identify with anything I've experienced. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. You know, we very recently did a podcast episode on suffering. And one of the things that we talked a lot about during that episode was this idea of lament and pain and not skipping over that portion of the process to get to the redemption at the end. Kara talked about how when you read stories, there's always kind of a middle part of the narrative where the hero is struggling, there's pain, there's something difficult that they have to walk through. You can't have that redemption at the end without the pain and the suffering on the way there. You have to spend some time in it. I think that's got to apply to this conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Totally. When I first began to sense God lead me into talking about this and having this conversation, and particularly I come into it not as a historian, I come into it as a person who's a professional about helping people have hard conversations in order to heal. Mm -hmm. That's my framework. Mm -hmm. And so when I really think about it, I think about it from a marriage standpoint. One of the hardest things that I deal with, but it's a beautiful place to also help people, is when couples have had a betrayal or an affair. Mm. And I'm not trying to be gender stereotype, but for this example, I'll just go with one of the most common presentations. So let's say a husband has had an affair on his wife and they present into counseling. Part of why they're presenting is they want to make things better. There's been something that's happened in the relationship. Things went sour and the husband made a dumb choice. He messed up. He wants to make amends. Hopefully the wife is in pain and she wants to heal. In order for that couple to heal, the first necessary step is I've got to make this space safe for her to be able to share her pain. Because if I try and go to healing and restoring their marital bond and I skip her pain, it will come back and get them later. That pain has to be dealt with. And I've seen that presentation before, but that's hard and justifiably so for the husband, why he wouldn't want to see that pain. Mm. Because especially if he's a husband that loves his wife, he looks over there and he sees her pain. He sees her sorrow. Mm. It makes him feel guilt. Yeah. He feels shame and it hurts. And he's like, I don't know if that pain on her will ever go away. Mm. And I don't want to get stuck here right. because we won't ever be able to get back. So I just want to, I don't want you to, he'll tell her, like, I don't want you to feel that way. Can't we just get through this? Mm. Wow. And it makes sense that he wants to say that. Yeah. What I need to tell him is I get it. I get how this is making you feel and how this is hard. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. If you really want this to be restored, She needs to be able to share this pain. And this is how you'll know when you can move forward. She needs to be able to look over into your eyes and see that her pain has entered your body. Mm -hmm. And when she can see that you are feeling and taking in her pain, then what her body and what her soul can begin to experience is I can kind of trust moving forward. He gets it. Wow! Not only does he get it, he feels it himself. And so now we're both sharing this pain. So now it's not just me getting over pain. Mm -hmm. We are both united in dealing with this pain and this suffering together. But it takes him having to stay there. And it might not happen in one conversation. It takes time. Right. But each time he can be there and be present with her pain, 
Hmm. It actually gets better. And actually for some couples, they'll be like, oh, that sucked. We never want to do it again. Yeah. But we actually are better off than we were before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That wow. unity comes from the shared experience yeah. of one person saying, exactly. I'm going to feel what you're going to feel. Exactly. And that's exactly how this applies to race. And wow. that you can get where I'm going with mm-hmm. that example. For the minority experience in America, it is a protest. And then you do see this anger. It's like saying, you've hurt me. Can't you feel this? Yeah. Don't you get this? When it's like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to feel that. The gospel doesn't have place for lament Mm. or the gospel doesn't have place for this. Don't we just, let's get to the hope. Yeah. Mm. Let's get to the, this. Stop being so divisive. Stop being so, yeah. Like, can't we just all get a lot, like wanting to skip over all of that and and get straight to the end. I think that's Mm -hmm. the danger of this whole colorblindness idea because it kind of puts it in a place where the people who are wanting to be colorblind, they're kind of like the guardians of the turning away from pain. Yeah. You're you're pain averse. And I get that. You're not wanting to have conflict, but- That also puts you in a place where if you're trying to be colorblind, naturally, anyone who raises concerns, they're Mm -hmm. all you're in a us versus them mentality. One person after I had a talk like this, and this was a well-intending sister in Christ. I hate using terms black and white, but I'll say it was a white sister in Christ. And she said, well, James, well, what if the husband refuses to acknowledge the pain of the wife? What would you tell her to do? I said, I would look her in the eye and say, I am sorry. This really hurts and it sucks. And I'm so sorry that right now in this place, he can't be with you. However, I do want to honor your pain that it is real mm-hmm. and that it's there. Even on this side where the minorities find themselves, it's like, if my white brothers and sisters of Christ won't be there for me, at least I need spaces where I can be comfortable with my pain and mm-hmm. I can acknowledge my pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that is not God's design, will, and plan to have to feel like we have to pull away and to deal with pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My hope and my vision and the biggest push for me in this is, I believe the church will manifest the glory of God, particularly in America, when we can say, you know what, this is something we did collectively. We were a part of it. We might not have done it in the past, but you know what? Our forefathers and mothers, they were a part of this and we are going to be a part of healing it. We can come into the pain together. And I believe our best days will be ahead if we can do that. But if we choose not to do it, my fear is what we see happening in our churches is going to get worse Mm -hmm. and worse. And it won't be because we're talked about race. It's because we refuse to deal with the pain collectively. And if the perpetrator of that pain does not have any willingness to engage with the fact that they are a part of the problem, Mm -hmm. that's a major barrier to Mm -hmm. moving forward. That perpetration has happened and it's something that we have to deal with. We have to sit down in the room and be uncomfortable and be willing to walk through the process. We can't skip to the end without going through these steps. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think gets brought up a lot, one of the questions that's asked a lot is what are some practical things that I can do to be an ally or what what things can I jump on board with to start making a difference? What you seem to be pointing out is not that action is not important because that certainly comes, but that those actions or those things that we want to do, those flow out of this shared pain, this shared experience that has to yes. come first yes. before we jump straight to yes. the, I'm going to go march in a protest or I'm going to go exactly. sign a petition or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially if I go back to that marriage analogy, what I've seen from some spouses that have betrayed their partner, when they take that pain in, their motivation level changes. And it's amazing to me the things that they do. Mm-hmm. What they start doing is they give to their partner what they would want mm-hmm. if they were in that same pain too. Yeah. And the other spouse is like, wow, I've never felt this level of comfort or care in our relationship before just because they took in that pain. Yeah. And so the practical to-do list, that's why I push back on it a little bit. I think people ask it from a good place, but I need you to feel this first before you can go do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not convinced of it in and of yourself, 
then when I'm not around or another minority is not around, then what are you going to do when you're around your family table and the family member says something racist or you see something happening in your office that's like, "Eh, that's shady or in your church. If I'm not around, do you have something in you that will make you speak up even if I'm not there to tell you what to do? And I think there's a level of ownership to be taken in that. This whole like to-do list (laughs) question is something that I see myself asking just in a heartbeat. I'm like, what can I do to make this better? Right. But I think that there's almost some disassociation there with like all of these other white people have made a mistake. How can I, a good white person, (laughs) make up for them? How can I fix it for them? Right. And and that does two things for me. That removes me from being the problem. And that also sort of sets me up to go, okay, and how can I be the savior here? Wow. And again, it's not wanting to acknowledge that icky pain. Mm. Well, maybe I have benefited from something in this society set up against people of a different It's color. kind of funny in that analogy that we're talking about of marriage counseling. It's almost like seeing yourself as the counselor. Mm. I'm not the I'm, husband yeah. nor the, I'm just the counselor <laughs> and I'm here to help. Uh, what can I yeah. do? Yeah. Like, yeah. as opposed to recognizing, no, I'm part of the equation. Like I'm part of the problem. Right. Wow. wow. Yeah. And you know, I want to make sure I don't want anyone to walk away after hearing this and feel like all white people are the problem. I do want you to say by my inaction, do I become a part of the current problem? Right. Mm -hmm. We've all inherited this system. So how can I be a part of the solution? Three things I tell people, if you want to really have an emotionally engaged relationship to do this conversation well, you have to be accessible to people. Are you a safe person that someone of a different race or ethnicity can reach out to? Am I accessible Mm -hmm. or do I cut myself off? Or even that goes into We live in a world in which we are still segregated. Have you lived in a world in a way where you are cut off from all people in different groups? So one is trying to create some accessibility in some way. Even if that means, I'll say this, go attend a predominantly African-American church. Right. <laughs> that d- James I, made a fun face. Yeah. That's why I'm laughing. I'm not yeah. laughing so, at this point. Yeah. I'm saying. sorry, Karen. No, it's okay. And I say that because like that's the shocking idea. Like yeah. right. make the move. Yeah. Try yeah. it. Be in a place where you feel like the minority for a change and see what that's like. Mm. So be accessible. But then when the conversation comes up, learn to be responsive. Don't right. go into debating facts. Like that's one thing we did this conversation today. I appreciate we didn't just get into arguing political points and facts and <laughs> yeah. be responsive to the person and really give yourself over to taking the conversation in and then be emotionally engaged. Put your heart in it. Mm. Don't hide your heart away from it. So be accessible, responsive and emotionally engaged. So in thinking about that, we're all members of the American church or we exist in that society. From your perspective, what are some of the things that the American church and Western Christianity as a whole can start doing better. Man, start looking for theologians of different perspectives, bringing them in, in the sense of into your preaching notes. When we put their quotes up, we put their pictures up because we are shaping a narrative for our congregation. As we preach through a text, we speak to the cultural elements that are already right there. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus, you want to talk about don't be divisive. He intentionally brings up the Samaritans. Mm -hmm. He was Mm -hmm. being, he was being kind of, (laughs) When he talks about evangelism and winning a whole city, he uses a Samaritan woman. Yeah. But when they say, well, who is my neighbor? He pushes the Jews and he says, let me tell you the story of the good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. You Jews got it wrong. (laughs) They despised the Samaritans. They were less than. Right. They weren't pure Jews. So he was being culturally antagonistic in some ways to make a point to shake up their narrative and their view. Because the fulfillment of my whole plan is this gospel is going to go to every nation in people group. Mm -hmm. So I've got to start shaping your view to see it, that it's not all just you. Yeah, that inclusive. Other, exactly. No, yeah. And then you have Paul come in. He takes that gospel message to the Gentiles. And then he, going to what the church can do, Paul was so brave that he calls out Peter in Galatia when Peter was acting like a hypocrite and he was eating with the Gentiles until the Jews got there. 
Then he got up from the table <laughs> and Paul's like, no, mm-hmm. Peter's a pillar of the faith, but he was being a hypocrite to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So therefore I'm going to call him out. That's the part where we need people. And I love what Kara shared that story. We need people of good intent, not to be fearful and silent. We need you to be bold and to speak up. Why not to shame people, but to say we are pressing towards the view of the gospel that God has called us to. This is a part of it. If only to break down the echo chamber that we build up, right? That's right. Because we get so locked in these like homogenous circles where we just assume that Anson thinks exactly like I do or Kara Mm. thinks exactly like I do. That's true. If someone is saying something that's wild and out there, it would benefit them to know there's a different perspective at this table with you. I might look like you, but you're Mm -hmm. way off base in terms of what I think. Because there are things that people will say around you, Isaac, that they would never say around me. Exactly. Mm. Can I piggyback off of that? Because that's where I run into a lot of fear and trouble is like, I don't even know where to start, even with someone my family members or, you know, anyone that I'm having a conversation with, how do you have that conversation in a compassionate way? What I usually do and I lean into care first Mm -hmm. is I validate the fear Mm -hmm. because we were talking before we got on the central element that keeps us from being able to do these. And I'll say this on both sides to do these conversations. Well, it's fear. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm afraid to bring my full self forward yes. for fear of in some way you're going to reject me or invalidate me or mm-hmm. shame me. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what I usually end up doing with people, like there was one time when the talk with the statues and everything was going on and mm-hmm. I said something on Facebook and a friend contacted me because he feels like this is going to lead into the eradicating of all things that have represented him. Mm. And so it was coming from a, a fear-based place. Yeah. So I acknowledged that fear and honored that fear. But when I honored his fear, guess what he did? He slowed down. Then I shared my story with him and he was like, I'm sorry, James. I never thought about it from that yeah. perspective. But that's me being a counselor. Yeah. I knew until I validated his fear, right. he was never going to be open to what right. I had yeah. to say. Now, I know some people that are minorities, but that sucks, though. I always got to make white people comfortable. Right. got to do that oh. before they're going to listen to, listen to mine. Uh, but if you want to have a good conversation, that's just all for me. If I truly want to have a conversation, I'm trying to be productive. Then there are some things that I'm going to try and do. We live in such an argumentative time mm-hmm. and such a yeah. polarizing time. I think a lot of times we're seeking ways to very quickly invalidate people, right? right. right? Your view is wrong mm-hmm. and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. And when we start a conversation with someone from a point of invalidating them, yeah. it's going to be hard to have a productive conversation. Yeah, yeah. But what you're saying, it, it very much shifts the paradigm. Yeah. Now, there is some acknowledgement that needs to happen that like what you're feeling is real. It yeah. doesn't make it right, but it's real. Empathy. Right? I mean, concept. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Isaac. There are sometimes I've had this conversation, even when I try and validate the other person's perspective, they still don't hear me. Right. Yeah. And then I do what Jesus told his disciples to do. I shake the dust off my feet yeah. and I keep on moving. It's amazing to me how I always feel particularly inequipped in these kind of conversations because I don't even know what to say. I don't have a lot of facts. I haven't done a lot of research. But when you put it in the perspective for me of I need to feel what you're feeling and mm-hmm. validate it, it has to start there. And if yeah. you don't go there, you can't go any farther. Yeah. And that's actually really helpful for me and encouraging because that's the one thing that I feel like. Okay, like I can do that, right? We got to start there. Like, all right, I can listen to your story. And like, because I do know what it feels like to be on the other side of someone invalidating my emotions. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Like, so good. I don't know. That feels helpful and empowering to me. So what does happen even after the person's acknowledged the pain and seen the pain? Mm -hmm. Usually the person who's in the pain will go a little bit deeper with it because like, oh, it's safe. Okay, I can share the whole thing. But you know what happens when they get their whole story out? And they're open to this perspective of even the one who did the betrayal. Mm, and I even yeah. see that in the race conversation. 
there is a place where the minority's pain does have to be acknowledged here. Mm-hmm. Then what happens is, and that's where I think I am a little bit in my journey. Mm-hmm. This is for me what God's called me to do. Mm-hmm. I can get on the white perspective of the fear, mm-hmm. the shame, and the guilt that that brings up. But part of the reason why I can do that, though, is because guess what? My whole life has been lived multicultural. Yeah. Right? I've been educated in predominantly white institutions and attended mm-hmm. predominantly white churches, but I also have been discipled and mentored in the predominantly black church. Mm-hmm. So I've spent time in all these different areas and I can see it from yeah. both sides. Yeah. And so my hope is in the church, we can have more experiences like that mm-hmm. where we can be able to say, like, you know, I know what it's like to be in different circles. One thing that I have seen several times, and I, I actually saw this from uh, Propaganda, who is one of our hip hop artists that we play on Real FM. He was talking about how he gets asked from people all the time, what's the one thing you want white America to know? And his response to that question was, I get that that's a well-meaning question, but basically his response was, I'm tired. I'm tired of answering that question. (laughs) Like, Mm, I I just don't want to think about you all that much because I want you guys to figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that sentiment? Is there some part of you at all that says like, that's not my job? You know, there's a couple ways I think about it. The one that hit me is even when you answer and contacted me about this, I'm willing to come sit in this room and have this conversation with you all because I've seen you and I've met you and I believe you to be people of good intent. Mm-hmm. You're not just asking for entertainment. You didn't call me in here just to rebut me. I felt a sense of safety, like me sharing my words with these brothers and sisters would actually be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will give my energy to people who are well-intending and desiring. Mm-hmm. But if you're just going to rebut me, I will stop. Mm-hmm. I've learned to do that. I will stop real quick. Mm-hmm. If you're just trying to argue a point or fight for something else, then fine, go for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I'm using my energy for building the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But also I do want to see people that have their own motivation. It's not just a, I'm just sitting back and I just want to passively receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else in your life have you been passionate about and you pursued within your own energy? Because yeah. mm-hmm. I have worked in some institutions institutions and churches, whatever, where the only way we're going to move forward is if I have to invoke it. And that gets tiring and I can't do that. Well, here's one more question maybe that we can end on. For people who are interested in continuing this conversation in their own circles or continuing to read other voices who are speaking into this conversation, do you have any suggestions as far as resources that people could be following to expand awareness, whether that's books, authors, movies, other content. Is there anything that you would share and say, hey, this is someone that I read or that Mm -hmm. I've followed that uh, you would benefit from hearing their voice as well? Man, really good. So when you said movies, we just saw the movie Harriet. Oh, I've heard such good things. Very good movie. I would Ah, say see that. Right on. And also in January, the movie Just Mercy about the life of Brian Stevenson is going to be coming out. Yeah. Very, very good movie. But I would say read the book Just Mercy before you go see it. I really like Brian Stevenson's voice because one line he said is, a nation that lynched is more than a lynching nation. Mm. A nation that enslaved is more than an enslaving nation. You are more than the worst thing you've ever done. But- you do have to deal with the things you've done yeah. if you want to be able to live up to the fullness of your glory. And I think that's the thing about America. I'm a patriot. I fought for America, but we have done these things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to be truly who we are meant to be, we've got to acknowledge those things and deal with those things. Mm-hmm. Then I also recommend the book by Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise. What I think Jamar does, he is a historian. He takes and does like what I call as a therapist. And me and Jamar talked about this an attachment history of the American church. What he does is he goes through a historical timeline of ways in which the church was complicit in racism. 
And why does that matter? Because what that says is as a church, we did things or at least compromised with things that violated people that are our family. When I am a counselor, I do an attachment history with every client. I want to know how in which ways people that are close to you that you suffered hurt and harm, because that's going to shape how you see the world. In the church, we have some significant attachment wounds according to race. So it makes sense why there's so much distrust because we've never taken time within the church to deal with family business and heal from those wounds. Now it is time for our final on repeat for this season. And our on repeat song this week is Sarah Reeves, Anxious. This is the latest single from Sarah Reeves, who also released an album in 2018, I believe. A relatively new artist on the Mm -hmm. Christian scene, although that actually isn't quite true. She released some music years ago. Yeah, that's right. And then I think kind of disappeared, fell off the map for a while, and then came back with this album last year. I've just got to say about Sarah Reeves in general, I really like her music. Um, She's fantastic. She's got a beautiful voice. She also, just a random tidbit from her last album, released a bunch of acoustic versions. Piano versions of her songs, which I think you can only find on YouTube. A couple of them might be on Spotify, but not most of them. They're really good. If you want to listen to some like more chill acoustic stuff that's just very peaceful sounding music, you definitely need to go check these out. Really excited about her latest song, which is called Anxious. And I love this song as someone who struggles with anxiety. I believe the week that it was released was a week I was particularly struggling with anxiety. And so Mm -hmm. literally just put this on repeat in my car one day. It really reminds me too of what you were talking about a little bit ago, Isaac, kind of this phenomenon of the overwhelming amount of information coming at us, not Mm. just about the world, but also about other people's lives. That's something we are all dealing with right now and trying to figure out how to cope with. And we're having trouble. A large number of the population are struggling with anxiety. She talks about just wanting to stay in bed, hide from the world, stare at the screen light, looking at the highlights, everybody's good life, reminding me of what I don't have second guessing who I really am. She even goes into some of the physical symptoms of anxiety, pressure building, body shaking. I can't take it. I appreciate her vulnerability in this song. It's very visceral. It's very visceral. And if you've been through anxiety, you're like, oh yeah, that's a real thing that you're dealing with there. I love the chorus though, because it's this beautiful blend between honesty and vulnerability. And also like, I want to live differently. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to... A recognition that this is not all that there is for us. Yeah. Like I don't want to stay here. I want to acknowledge that this is real, but I don't want to stay here. So she says, I don't want to live my life like this anxious. I got a lot of good in me to give. Mm but I'm anxious. It's a good reminder. Like anxiety robs us Mm. of so much of life, including the things that we have to offer the world. Right. And it's so true. I've so been there. That's what anxiety does to me. It paralyzes me. I was about to say exactly that. It's something where if you have it severe enough, it truly like hits pause on everything because there's not a place you can go where your anxiety doesn't immediately do some gymnastics to fit that where it's like, oh, well, now you're worried about this. And I've seen that happen with people that I love. And anxiety is one of those like monsters that I don't know how people deal with this. This song captures it because it's making me feel uncomfortable looking at these lyrics. I'm like, I'm so sad. (laughs) It's a hard thing that people deal with. I like that line a lot too, Carrie, about I got a lot of good 
left in me to give because you're right. I think anxiety, a lot of it revolves around us convincing ourselves that we don't have anything to offer, that we don't have anything to give. And that's the very thing that's paralyzing. Yeah. Coming to that realization of, no, I do have something to offer. I do have value. I do have meaning and purpose in my life. All of those things. But acknowledging that like, yeah, the anxiety is robbing me of that knowledge and also of seeing the other good things in my life as well is what Mm. she talks about. So how can I take some steps forward and say, okay, if this is what it's doing to me, I don't want to stay in this place. How can I ask for help? Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so fantastic about this song, both the content of it and just the fact that it exists is I feel like one of the first steps for this is admitting that this is something that you struggle with and saying it out loud and sharing that burden with others. And that's exactly what she does in the bridge or the outro to the song. She Mm. repeats, this is my confession. Mm. I'm coming out of hiding. Yeah. And she repeats that over and over. This is my confession. I'm coming mm. out of hiding. I'm coming out of hiding. When you feel that anxiety and that pressure and you want to disappear under the covers of your bed and never leave ever yeah. again, yeah. this is exactly the medicine that we need. Mm. But it's very hard to administer. That is a wrap on season five of wow. the Real Talk podcast. Cool. <laughs> We did it. Can we go take a nap then? No. Yes, I think that's in order. Thanks again to uh, Dr. James Hawkins yeah. for joining us this episode. Man, we are so glad to have him here. Maybe going to have to have him back at some yeah. point yeah, for so sure. to do a follow-up to that episode because I feel like this episode probably could have been yeah. about five times longer. Yeah. Seriously. And it still would have been really, really good. Agreed. Yeah. So thank you to him for joining us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next season. listening to the real talk podcast from real fm catch afternoons with anson and kara from 3 to 7 p.m live every weekday on real fm radio the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent or reflect the views of john brown university klrc radio or real fm Woo, woo. Ba-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs>